Um, for our devotion, yeah, I wanted to pick up where we left off on Sunday morning. Uh, we read Exodus 19, and I focused particularly on verses 4 to 6 in the sermon, just because they're so rich. I felt I couldn't do justice to those and the rest of the chapter. Um, and we saw how Christians today have the same great privilege as Israel had, only more so. God has made us his treasured possession unconditionally because Jesus has fully obeyed him and kept the covenant on our behalf. And we also saw how Christians today have the same holy calling as Israel, as a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. We are, we are set apart from the world to show them the blessings of belonging to the creator of the universe, of living under his good laws, and of, of, um, of drawing near to him intimately. And finally, we saw how the same responsibility that Israel had to live out their holy calling by obeying God is also our responsibility. So it's only through obedience that the world will notice anything different about us and, and realize that life under Yahweh is better. And so it's only through obedience that we can fulfill our calling in the power of the Spirit as a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, these are the key ways that we are broadly the same as ancient Israel. And so now I want to take us to verse 19 to 25, because they help us to understand an incredible way that we are different. Because the church now, the spiritual Israel, is even more privileged. So let me read those verses from Exodus. So it's 19, 9 to 25. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Make them wash their clothes and be ready for the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain. After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them and they washed their clothes. Then he said to the people, prepare yourselves for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. 
the Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up and the Lord said to him, go down and warn the people so that they do not force their way through to see the Lord and many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves or the Lord will break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up Mount Sinai because you warned us yourself. Put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. The Lord replied, go down and bring Aaron up with you. But the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. So verse nine is the key to this section. If, if you want to know why God came down on the mountain in such a terrifying way and why all the pyrotechnics and the billowing smoke and the earthquakes, verse nine tells us, Yahweh revealed his presence to Israel and spoke to them in this particular way so that they would always put their trust in Moses. Yahweh was establishing Moses as their mediator. This is because verses four to six raise an implicit question. How would the people hear God's words? How would they hear so that they could know him and obey him and fulfill their calling as a kingdom of priests and a holy nation? How? Only through a mediator. The thick cloud and smoke was there to show that they could not yet come fully into God's presence. They were not pure enough, even after consecrating themselves. Yahweh's presence is like a consuming fire, and they would be destroyed because of their sinfulness. So Yahweh was protecting them in his love for them. And he was teaching them that they needed a holy and faithful mediator to enter and to receive his words on their behalf. And this is, in fact, what the people realise and exactly what they ask Moses to do for them in chapter 20. And we're going to come to that next Sunday. But for now, I just want us to take God's holiness to heart. By rights, we should be greeted with the terrifying sight that Israel saw on trying to approach God. And by rights, we should be held back on pain of death because the sin which lingers in our hearts ought to make us deeply offensive to him. By rights, we could not expect to hear from God and know him except at a distance. But incredibly, we have not come to that mountain because we have an even greater mediator than Moses. And this is where I want to go to Hebrews 12, to verses 18 to 14. It says, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom and storm to a trumpet blast or such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further words be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. 
The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now, isn't that incredible? In spite of all our sin, we can enter God's presence and know him in a way ancient Israel never could. We can come to God not in overwhelming fear, but in the joy of full assurance. Because Jesus is the greater mediator of a new and better covenant. He has fully obeyed God and kept the covenant at Sinai on our behalf. So we are now counted worthy to enter God's presence with him. And we do that. We really do that as the Holy Spirit brings God's presence to us. And as he connects us with the gathering of God's people and the angels before the throne in heaven. And we come to this heavenly Jerusalem, especially as we gather as a full church on Sundays. Because that is when we most fully reflect that heavenly, heavenly gathering in microcosm joining their praise and hearing God speak directly to us, not through a mediator, but directly to us by his spirit, through his word. Israel had a unique privilege among the nations in ancient times because no other nation knew God or got close to him the way Israel did. But we are even more privileged because we don't come to the mountain of fire and smoke, but the heavenly Jerusalem, even now. Isn't that a greater reason to fight for obedience and to live out our calling as his kingdom of priests and holy nation? When we have such full and free access to God, our gratitude should overflow in thankful obedience as we live out our calling.